and welcome to the Truth From Ruth podcast with me, your host, Ruth Ross. Hello and welcome to episode two. We're here already, I know. Thank you so much for all the lovely comments I got last week. It was much appreciated. I'm glad it seemed to be helping and... If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, rate and review. I hope you've all had a lovely week so far and yeah, I really enjoyed doing the podcast. I really like communicating with people about it, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I finally started this. But it's October, it's my birthday month. My siblings are also born this, this month as well, so... That's dramatic. And I'm going to Abba Voyage, which I can't wait for. And just to mention before we begin, in this podcast we do discuss mental health and eating disorders, things that listeners may find disturbing. There are links to the show notes with more information, help and advice, as well as reference to charities and other mental health support. I think we should begin. So, welcome to episode two, where it all began, part two. So, first and sixth year were my absolute worst years at school. Uh, sixth year, they were, well, they were both hell. Um, I wanted to leave in fifth year, but I decided to stay another year just because I wasn't exactly sure where I wanted to go. Um, and I was quite heavy by then. I'd gained a lot of weight. Um, and it was like the whole year group had came together and, and kind of would hang about together because everybody was the oldest in the school. But for some reason, I just wasn't fitting into this big whole group. Um, the boys, especially in my year, were really quite mean. Um, not every one of them, but some of them. Um, would just sort of slag me off for not going to uni and talk about how I looked and just, like, take piss out of me all the time. Um I was studying advanced higher art at the time and there was like four girls in my class. They weren't from a friendship group, but I caught one of them um, like penning on my, my work, my painting that I had done. Uh, just all this like catty stuff that, that came and you know, I had four years of not really having any of that and all of a sudden I just wasn't, I wasn't all right again. Um, to fit into this new whole group that I wasn't really want to be part of anyway, but all my friends had kind of merged in with, with the whole year group, so... Uh, and I remember we were at this school disco and um, there was a, a boy there who lived in my village and we used to get the bus back and forward together and he had just passed his test. He was dropping some people off home and I had asked him, you know, do you mind dropping me off? And in front of everybody, he said, there's no way I'd take you in my car because you're so fat. Uh, you'll break the suspension. And then a bit of me is like, ha, ha, ha. But not at the time. Like, it was so embarrassing. And, you know, there was a lot of people there. I was mortified. Um, I think what hurt me more looking back was that 
I don't know specifically what, what people in my group were, were there, but I do know there were some friends who witnessed it and nobody really stuck up for me. Um, uh, you know, so I just felt I just felt really alone again and um I think some people came up to me after and was like, Oh, are you okay? That was so bad what he said, but nobody kinda stood forward. Um so that just made me feel even worse, to be honest. I was just so miserable and I couldn't wait to finish. Uh, so me and my friends booked a holiday to Spain. Uh, it was going to be our first girls holiday. Um, it was so exciting. Like we got there and it was just like freedom. We had so much fun. Nights we just partied all the time and we're living our best lives. Before the holiday, it was a bit stressful because I did panic. I thought, oh God, I've gained so much weight and I'm going to I'm going to be wearing swimwear. So I hadn't looked at diets or weighing myself or counting calories for over four years. But I thought, I, I really need to, to you know, go on a diet and, and try and change myself a bit before we go on this holiday. Um, so I started one. I still remember what one it was. And unbeknown to me, I was opening the door to the danger zone. It was all going to start again. I didn't really like the daytimes as much because you're by the poolside. All my friends and everybody else have got, in my eyes, gorgeous bodies. And, oh my God, look, they're just walking about with their bikinis on. Like, I could never do that. Uh, I wish I looked like them. And then I would sit like on the lounger um, with like my swimwear underneath, but then I'd have like a towel almost up to my neck, a caftan, um, everything covering me. I remember being anxious sitting at the poolside because uh, my friends would play in the pool with like people they'd met and stuff, and some of them would get like thrown in. And I would just sit and visualise like, oh my God, I can't move because if I get up to go to like the bar or something like that, what if I get pushed in? What if then my caftan becomes see-through and then people see my body? Everybody's sitting around the pool. I'm going to get laughed at. I'm going to get slagged off. Like, so I would just sit like a statue on the sun lounger, um, like boiling. Um, but yeah, that, that was what I would do for the day. At night was great. Um, but then the, the daytime would then be like, oh, just more um, self-conscious again. Nighttime, you could get your makeup on and you could wear clothes and then that was all right. Um, and I think this happened, so week two, and the self-hate game was strong. Like, I was hating myself. Uh, I was like, this is just, I've lost weight, but I'm not thin enough yet. And we'd been out for lunch and I just remember my pal, so we shared, there was eight of us on that holiday and we shared rooms with four, so it was four and four. And they were all like, I don't think the room was full, but they, the, the people I was sharing a room with were like chilling on the balcony and hanging about in the room. And I went to the toilet and I made myself sick. And it is a difficult time. Like there's a lot of pressure on you to know exactly what you want to be and I think at that time you're you're made to believe that you know what you choose is what you have to stick with I didn't have amazing grades like I had a few hires um not enough not enough to go to uni I wasn't planning on going to uni at that time anyway 
um, because I didn't know what subject I would do and it wasn't really an option for me. Um, and you know, there's, there's extra noise, I suppose, just about, you know, getting A, a grades, A grades and it's no, oh, it's no the be all and end all. Like I, I have done, I think I've done quite a, a well in my life, and I didn't have a a class grades. And I think there's not only one way to be. So, please, if you're younger and you're listening to this, don't stress if you don't know exactly what you be, exactly what you want to be when you're seventeen, because it's, it's how are you supposed to know without discovering and trying things and. And learning along the way, um, I think there's a lot of pressure on young people at this time. It's alright if you get wrong and make mistakes, it's fine. You just try something else. Back to the timeline, so the bulimia did come back, obviously, um, but I would say it was very sporadic to begin with. Um, after that episode on holiday... It uh, was maybe weeks or months before it happened again. It would come out of nowhere. So I'd just be like bobbing along with my life. And then all of a sudden I'd have like a relapse. Uh, I didn't understand what had triggered it. Um, but then I kind of just accepted it as as normal and, and just something that I, I'd done. I didn't think too much about it. My self-esteem at this point was pretty low because... When I'd feel a bit better about myself, I would then, you know, be going out with my friends and stuff like that again. And I just would feel like there's no point in me being out because I'm all right when I'm just with my pals. But then whenever we go out and there's like guys and stuff there, I literally feel like see through. Like there's no point in me even being here because I get looked over all the time. Uh, just that thing about feeling invisible um, and so that plays a lot with your self-esteem um, and then I, I based my value so much on what other people thought what their approval was you know they would indicate how worthy I was by my perception of it which was like okay well if they give me attention or if like they think I'm funny and they do this and they, they compliment me it was more about Rather than the, the qualities that I've got, uh, it was more about, you know, the validation was all based on looks. So if somebody was like, oh, you look amazing, look at your hair, or look how thin you are, or, you know, you've lost weight and all that stuff, that was what I, I seeked out for um, all the time. And so there was that sort of mixed in as well. Um, the bulimia got really bad again so it got worse as time went on I didn't really recognize myself as a person because I had I was so far removed from the girl I was um if I can explain it it would be like the good devil and the bad devil and the bad devil had totally shut down the good the good side of you where you know you've been kind to yourself and stuff and it was just overpowering and it was constant negative sort of chat punishment um and then just so much self-hatred and I think that combined women not having a direct path um and feeling like a failure because I wasn't going to uni and 
I I was going to college to do art portfolio class, which was fine, but um, I don't know. I just felt like a failure, really. I just felt like I was stupid, and that combined with feeling ugly and big, and I just was awful. At this this time, I was awful to myself. Like I was so, you know, I cringe in a way. I I can't cringe because I, I feel sorry for me at that age. Um, but. I sometimes think, oh my goodness, the way you would speak to yourself, you know, between sort of this time to your early 20s, um, was just, you know, it makes my, my skin crawl because I think, oh, what a shame that you were so horrible to yourself because um, you weren't stupid and you weren't ugly and, you know, you were you were beautiful and you had so much going for you. You were 17 and... You had, like, obviously all your life ahead of you and stuff, but it just it just took over my life. And the bulimic episodes became more and more frequent. Um, okay, so how to explain? So you know how we've kind of got two voices, like, obviously we've got our main voice, but then there's sometimes, like, a little naughty devil on the shoulder. It's like, go on, do it, and you're, you're doing things that maybe aren't, beneficial for you long term um, and then you've got another side of your body or brain and it's you know encouraging and you're able to make a, a better better decisions it has to do with your brain and the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system and, and all that I've learned as time went, as went on but anyway so you're the, the sort of negative voice in your head at this point it was so loud um, just, you know, nothing was good enough, I wasn't doing enough, I had to look better, I had to be thinner, I had to do more exercise, um, I would be more paranoid, so I'd be like, oh, I've, I've ate that, I'm going to like instantly put on like so much weight, people are going to start talking about me, um, when I hadn't, um, but it's just, it just becomes overbearing to the point where... I didn't even really recognise my own personality anymore or my own self. It was like that was totally muted and all I had in my head was this sort of nastier voice um, telling me like I'm not good enough and I can't do it and um, just just numbing me basically. So it just totally drained my own, you know, the, the, the girl, the child I had been, the, the young person I'd been was just, so far removed to what I was now. Um, my periods had stopped. My teeth had started to crack. The dentist had said to me like, oh, your your teeth are starting to break at the back. That was due to acid reflux. Um, and obviously binging and purging. Um, uh, I took a lot of laxatives as well, so my functional system wasn't working properly. I was exhausted. I would get um, also I'd get like cuts on my hands from my teeth when I was making myself sick, try and hide them with like makeup and stuff. Um, I just stopped going out because I just thought. I just kind of deal with this, kind of deal with the, the pressure. Um, and then I couldn't really 
drink alcohol because I would just get because there was nothing in my stomach I would starve myself and because there was nothing in my stomach and then I would drink alcohol I would just not be able to get out of my bed the next day so I just thought oh I'm not gonna bother going out Um, I'd stop going to like family events like I remember my gran had this like special birthday and I just couldn't bear to go Um. It was in our house and everybody was going to be there. And I remember like, my parents being really upset at me because they, I just don't think, I'm, you know, probably they were just thinking, why are you being so strange? Like, why are you not coming to this? All your family's going to be there. But I just couldn't bear seeing people. And um, I'd probably had like a horrible binge that day where I had maybe purged like, I don't know, just getting to the stage where I'd maybe purge up to five times a day. Um, so I was exhausted, I was drained, I was I was depressed, I was paranoid and you know, I was no longer Ruth. Like my usual bubbly personality was just getting stripped away from me um day by day as time went on. You know, what I thought thinness would have brought me which was more confidence and going after the things that I really wanted to do and and feeling invincible and all the things that I tagged being thin with and, and the image that I always sought after from a young age. I was finally, technically, looking the way that I thought I wanted to look, but I've never been so miserable in all my life. I think that's the, the twist on seeking out to have this perfection because if we seek out to get something perfect there's nothing perfect so it distracts us from you know maybe unpicking what what else is going on and and that's how addiction works isn't it it's used to like suppress and and not have to deal with sticky emotions and um it was hard as well because not one person knew what I was what was happening to me um so I felt paralyzed at this stage I don't really know how to explain it I just physically couldn't make myself go to stuff and it was so far removed from the the girl I had been so it was confusing to people that were close to me like for example that that night with my grands you know that my parents were like but that's weird I mean they never said that but they were like oh I think it was a bit confused like why are you not coming to this this is a very like special thing and they just thought that's weird like it's not something that she would have done before and then you think right I've made the right decision by not going but then you spend the whole night crying and and feeling so guilty like an overwhelming guilt because you're fully being taken over by the 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 illness. So you don't recognise yourself and you can't you feel helpless. You feel like you can't take control of the situation and you just have to surrender, I guess, and, and just have to go with it but then you you've got that overwhelming guilt because you know that's not how your personality is and how you would have usually acted or that you know there's no way I would have missed that and it's terrifying because it's 
I don't know, it's, it's just terrifying because you, you can't, you feel like you can't get better. You try, but you don't understand the illness. So it's, it's absolutely terrifying. It's just like a dark hole. And just as a little sort of subsection of this before I, I end the podcast, um, I think I'll have a responsibility to just be a little bit more cautious of you know, what, what we're saying around each other. Um, I think comment on anybody's body, whether that's, you know, weight loss or weight gain is unhelpful. We don't know what the truth is behind closed doors. Like, we don't know what people are going through. They could be, you know, looking well in your eyes, but they could be struggling sort of mentally or with stress or illness. Um, the same as, you know sort of commenting on people's weight, whether that's someone we know or someone from online or, you know, on TV. Um, there's a lot of body shaming and, and fat phobia. And I think it's harmful and it's not... We've got so much better things we could be talking about. And I think we have to understand that I mentioned that in the last podcast, sort of talking about children and stuff, but we have to be so careful with, with what we're saying around small ears. And I think, you know, women have been systematically bred to compare ourselves and to judge and to feel not adequate enough in our, in our own selves. Um, so I'm not, I don't like to come across as like I'm pointing fingers at anybody individual. I just think we'll have a responsibility to change the narrative a bit and, you know, be more creative with what we are speaking to each other about and, um, what I've started to do with like my little niece, for example, is, you know, I never, it's not that I don't say she looks pretty or anything like that, but I also say like, wow, you've got really strong legs, look how fast you can run and, you know, complimenting her for other things that isn't about how she looks. Um, and just, wow, you're so clever, like, you got that spelling really well, you know, and encouraging, but but encouraging her for her brain and for her um, courage and for her strength. Um, so I think that's just something to to think about as well. Just just when we're sort of around smaller people, and it's almost like a a bad habit or a, a default where it's like criticising our bodies you know and I still hear people doing it now and I just think oh but you're great if only you could see yourself through other people's eyes um but it's almost like a, a release to maybe say like oh I'm feeling so big I've put you know I've done this I've been naughty I've I'm so bad I'm trying to be good today all oh, those little things People are listening and little ears are listening, as I mentioned. And, you know, if you're in the mirror saying, oh, look at mummy's big belly or, oh, look at my fat bum and 
that's just no good. Like, no. Even if you feel like you, you do feel sort of rubbish about yourself, like, it's just trying to look for things that you do like about yourself, you know. And even if you genuinely can't find anything at the moment, then just pretend. Especially if we've got people listening around us and our families, you know, just pretend that you love your arms and you love this and you love that and you love your eyes because our little, um, just say we've got children or something in the house, they're going to be like, yeah, my my gar- like my parents do, um, they are amazing, yeah, they are and they're 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 saying they're amazing and that kind of soaks into them as well to make them feel like they're worthy and and you know it starts from a young age as I mentioned so these are all like good things to do is what I'm I'm trying to explain and I think it's been set out so that women are consumed with you know obsessing about how they look um, if we obsess about how we look then we don't have time to speak up about stuff and move forward for equality and make a change for us that's living just now and then for our future generations as well just to be aware when we think about it of how much time worrying about how we look and comparing ourselves to each other takes up. It takes up so much of our time. And then the thoughts for days about something we've maybe ate or maybe too many meals that we've ate that's not balanced enough for you know, our plan for that week. That takes up time. How many calories? How much fat? How much saturated fat? How many micros? How many macros? How many sins? How many points? Two hours every single week, sitting in a circle, listening to how much weight people have lost and clapping, talking with our friends, talking with our family, talking with anybody who listened about our new diet that we're trying. It's so consuming. All the food diaries, 10 and 15 minutes a day, try to do that. All the time scrolling, all the time zooming in, all the time comparing, all the time talking about procedures, how to look younger. It's just endless. It's endless, endless, endless. And it's all put in place to distract us um, so that we're, we stay quiet and we don't speak up and fight for what we want. You know, it's just, um, it's been on us for centuries but I just I'm just fed up it now I just want a change and you know that was one of the reasons for for creating this space and I think I discovered that you know people talking about um different programs and stuff that were almost quite triggering for me in the beginning so I would just take myself out of the conversation um and it would it would be like a low vibration feeling, and it still it still is, you know. If I hear overhear people at work talking about it, I just put earphones in or I walk away. Um, it doesn't really happen too much in like friendship groups now, but you know, in certain spaces, maybe in the past, it would always the conversation would always lead to, um, you know, bodies and diets and all that, and um. I remember at the time I would try and like steer the conversation away um it would be like my own personal little challenge so I'd be like but you know whenever we'd start talking about it I would just feel like oh god here we go um so I'd be like maybe ask them what they'd done at the weekend or uh where they were going on holiday um you know hairdressing questions 
uh, oh, I'd just read like a really good book. Had they had they read it? Had they heard of the author? Um, and just trying to be a bit more creative with things we could talk about. Um, and I definitely still have to do it now. Like, I still have to, you know, edge my way over to like a different um, subject because I'd, I'd, I'm not willing to waste any more of my time on this stuff. I've, I've wasted so many years worrying and stressing and um, about about all this. So <clears throat> it's something I'm sort of conscious of now and I, I do steer away from it. Um, and we'll just go back to the final bit of the podcast just before we head off. So I am two years in. Um, I was going on holiday with my lovely boyfriend who's now my husband who's an, an absolute angel um I was stressing because I had to wear swimwear and I was like oh so anyway th- this was all happening um it was from sort of age 17 to 19 um that before I got help so it was another two years and then I'd sort of mentioned about you know just not recognizing myself at all um being paranoid being severely depressed um purging up to five times a day um and then what really scared me was that I just would think about not being in this world anymore um I just thought I'd rather die than have to do this anymore I'm, I'm exhausted um done I'm fed up I've had enough um the thought of me putting on a pound just freaked me out you know I just thought god I could never imagine myself like gaining weight that could be the worst that could be the worst punishment ever and if you know if I'm not thin then I just don't want to be in this world um but I am thin and I'm I'm not able to do anything I'm just in this vicious vicious cycle and I phoned my GP I was so nervous to go down and um I didn't really know like what I was going down specifically for, I just know I was, I was um, really scared about my thoughts that I was having in my, in my head. Um, and I sat and she asked me a lot of questions and it was such a relief to finally open my mouth about what had been happening in the past two years. And just like that, that's us came to the end of episode two. I hope you enjoyed it. I know there was some dark stuff in there again. And as mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, if there's anything that triggered you, uh, there is information in the show notes um, just, just to provide you with that. I hope you have a lovely week. Enjoy the autumn weather, cinnamon lattes, if that's your kind of jam. Uh, I've never tried a cinnamon latte. I still time. Don't know if I like it. Anyway, have a lovely week. I will see you next Friday for more of the truth from Ruth. Bye.